Well, good morning. So good to see everybody today. We are so happy that you are here. Um, I know Brooke said that, it, but if you're new, we just want to give you a special welcome. We're so glad that you have joined us here today. This is our little family. We just gather together to support one another, to love one another, and to grow in faith. And so I hope that today that you learn more about who God is, who he wants to be in your life. If there's ever anything that we can pray with you about or any need that we can meet, please let us know. That's why we're here. That's why we exist as a church, and we're so glad that you're with us today. So I am going to be speaking today, continuing our service uh, series that we've been in called The Path of the Upright. And Jeff has been sharing on this for the last few weeks. Um, it is based on this verse, Proverbs 2, 7, which says, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright, and he is a shield to those who walk in integrity. We've been talking about what it means to be upright, right? Because it says that there's wisdom for those of us that walk upright, that there is a path that God has for our life. And he wants us to make certain choices. There are principles and precepts in the word that's, that say, hey, if you walk in this path, there's wisdom for you. There is blessing for you if you choose that. And Jeff talked a lot about the word upright, that it means in alignment. Like when you go to the chiropractor and all of a sudden, click, 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 and everything suddenly is in alignment. The word tells us that there are things that we can do in our lives that will bring our life into alignment. There's a path that we need to walk on. There is a best place for us to be. It's a straight path for us. One of the other definitions of upright that I wrote in my journal, and I put it again in my notes because when Jeff talk, said it, it just it clicked in my brain. One of the definitions of upright was it was a shield in defense, like the scaly back of a crocodile. It was a protection that when you make choices, when you walk upright, there's a protection that comes over you, like the back of a crocodile that's protected from things coming at them because, he's, because it's protected by this, this outer coat, that when we walk the path of the upright, that there's protection for us. And so we are going to talk about that today. Um, the interesting thing that we have been talking about is there is this principle in Scripture that we see over and over again called the if-then principle. All throughout scripture, you will see places where God says, if you, blank, 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 then I will, blank, blank, blank. You can find it all over scripture. Uh, First Chronicles says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. There are principles in scripture that have an if-then to them. If you do this, then this will happen. If you walk this way, then this will come to you. And so there are choices that you and I have to make, and that's what this whole series has been about, this if-then idea that we have a choice to get on a certain path, the path of the upright, and if we do that, it will lead to all the promises that God has for us. Jeff has spoken on a number of these principles, things that the Bible tells us that the upright do. And so he had done a lot of studying before this series, and he, he kind of went through scripture, that, places that it said the upright have this, this, this. And one of the things he talked about was confession. Those that are upright are quick to confess. They confess their sins to God. They confess their sins to one another. That is something that scripture tells us. If we do that, things will go well for us. Also, he talked about last week forgiveness and loving our enemies. That that is a principle and a practice that those who want to be upright will do continually. They will forgive those that hurt them. They will love their enemy. They will not attack others, but they will be loving and forgiving. And so he gave me a list of topics and said, pick one that you want to preach on or pick two or three or whatever. And so as I looked, I picked rest because I thought, I love naps. I, this is a 
perfect topic for me. I'm going to talk on rest. And so a couple weeks ago, I started studying, and I started studying. And as I began to study, the Holy Spirit clearly redirected me another way. And this is what was happening. I was thinking about rest, how God tells us, hey, you need rest. This is an important part of our life. Scripture speaks over and over and over again about honoring a Sabbath, about how we work, about how we rest, all those things. And I was thinking about my kids, especially when they were little. Have you ever seen a little kid that really, 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 really needed a nap? So just some of the parents with little kids are like, every day, brother, every day. Have you ever seen a little kid that needed a nap and you say, you need a nap, and what do they say? I'm not tired. No, I don't. I'm not tired. I remember my kids being so little, and, like, they're literally, like, falling asleep at the table, and you need a nap. No, I don't. I am not tired. I'm not tired. Even my teenagers sometimes will say that to me. I'm not tired. And I'm looking and going, I think maybe you are. I think maybe you're tired, right? And you're looking at them going, you are a total disaster right now. You can't even keep your eyes open. You were like, you dropped one fishy on the floor and you're like, ah, why is everything so horrible? And you're going, you might need a little nap, right? But they will die on that hill of saying, no, I don't. No, I don't. I know better. And so I was thinking about this. This might happen in, in the Kerr house also when Maybe I haven't eaten anything all day, and all of a sudden, my aunt is nodding her head. She knows where I'm going. <laughs> Hi, Marnay. Nice to have you here. Um, I might have not eaten all day, and I might be uh, talking to my husband, and all of a sudden, he'll say these words to me. Have you had anything to eat today? And I'll go, why? He's like, I just think you might, might be hungry. It just seems like maybe you're a little, and the word is hangry in our house, like, some of you are nodding and looking and elbowing your spouse. When I haven't eaten anything and all of a sudden I might just be a little on edge and a little cranky and then and I will say, don't say that to me. That is not true. I am not hungry. I am just fine. You're just being annoying. And for sure I will die on that hill and then pretty soon I'll just go have a little cracker or something else and I'll be like, oh, maybe I was hungry. You're, you're not nearly as annoying now, right? But I am not going to admit that in the moment. Sometimes we are just convinced that we know better. And I want to show you a little video this morning of one of my children um, who is over here. I asked her permission, Betty. Um, I, I came across this video this week when Betty was about four years old. And it was probably, it was probably 10, so 10 years ago. And it was probably the middle of February. And Betty I think the snow had kind of melted for whatever reason, and it was still the middle of February, but she was convinced that she wanted to go swimming in the backyard. She was convinced that she could go swimming. And I kept telling her, no, Betty, it's too cold. It's too cold out there. And she kept, she would not give up. She was going to die on that hill of saying, I want to go swimming. It's fine. It's warm enough. And so finally, I said, okay, go get your swimsuit on. And so this is what happened when she ended up uh, with her swimsuit on in February. Okay. I'm telling you, it's cold out. Okay. But you want to swim, but I told you it's cold out. I know. Okay. <laughs> Over. <laughs> you gonna go get play in the hose? Yeah. <laughs> the water's frozen, duh. Okay, go swim in it. No, the ice in the um snow thing is it's cold water. Yeah. It's cold. Okay, you gonna go swim? Go ahead. Go ahead. You said you wanted to swim. I see the hot board. Aren't you gonna go out? 
My feet are now, my feet are cold. Did you change your mind? You don't want to swim anymore? Okay, go out or I'm closing the door. You want to go swim? Are you shivering? <laughs> okay, are you changing your mind? You think maybe it's too cold to go swimming? Are you going to go swimming? What do you think? Ooh. You going to go swimming? Look at me. Are you going to go swimming? Was mommy right? Is it too cold to go out? Is mommy right? Yeah. Yes, I am. <laughs> I was right? Yeah. Say it. My mother was right. My mother was right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to maybe practice that again, Betty. As she, now that she's 14, my mother was right. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, but we all have moments that we think we know better, right? We think we know better. Um, our parent says, you're tired. And we say, no, I'm not. I, no. Um, we say, our spouse says, you're, you're hungry. No, I'm not. It's cold outside. No, I'm not. And as I was studying to teach on rest, the Lord really backed me up and clearly said, Christy, the first thing you've got to get in this is obedience. It's obedience. Doing what I tell you to do. Because many times when I tell you what path to go on, your response to me is, I think I know better. I don't think that's the right path. I, think that, I don't think that that's right. I think I know better. I might not say it outright, but I might think it. And very often my actions absolutely confirm the fact that I think that I know the better path for my life. And so God began to challenge me so much about the path of the upright begins with the path of obedience, of saying, whatever you say, that's what I'm going to do. You know, maybe God has asked me to change something in a relationship. Maybe he says, hey, this relationship, I want you to, uh, to change the way that you're approaching this. And I will argue all the reasons why that is not going to work and why I should just keep doing the things that I'm doing in that relationship. And if that other person would change, then it would all be fine. And essentially, I'm saying, well, thanks for the advice, but I think I know better how to handle this. Maybe God has asked me to stop doing a certain behavior. And I list all the reasons why I can justify it, why this particular behavior, it's really not all that bad. And I know tons of other people that do that same thing, and it's not a big deal, and maybe times have changed, and that's different, and who cares? And essentially, I'm saying, thanks for your opinion, God, but I think I know better what I can handle. Or maybe God has asked me to take a certain turn in the direction for my life, to step into a new path or to do something different. And I remind him that that does not make sense and how it would never work and how I insist on doing things my own way instead of following where he's leading me. And essentially, I'm saying, thanks for the suggestion, but I think I know better the path for my life. I think I know how to get there. So I'm going to do it my own way. I think I know better. And yet a fundamental part of our walk with Christ is the principle that he is God and we do whatever it is he tells us to do. 
That's a fundamental part of our faith. We find that in Deuteronomy 10, 12 and 13. This is says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? This is a great question. What does God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. So one of our requirements as followers of Christ is that we obey the commands. We obey whatever it is he tells us to do and that it's for our own good. But so often we don't do what God has required of us. We refuse to obey and we refuse to listen. If you have your Bibles today, you can turn to Jeremiah 44. If you want to turn there, it's going to be up on the screen too. Jeremiah 44. And I, I came across this passage as I was studying and it was so interesting. The context of this, this part of scripture is God has established a relationship with the children of Israel. He rescued them from slavery. He brought them out into the promised land. Um, he promised them that he would always take care of them. He would always provide for them. He would make their path straight. But there was some if-then principles involved in this. God said, I'm going to do all these things, but I don't want you to worship other idols. I don't want you to worship other gods. I don't want you to participate in the evil practices that other people in this land practice. And so I'm asking you, that's your if part. That's the part that you're needing to do. He said, I don't want you to worship this. I want you to uh, live holy lives. But they thought they knew better. And so God sent the prophet Jeremiah to warn them, hey, you're not keeping up your end of the deal here. Stop worshiping these other idols because they were practicing all of those things, idolatry. Stop doing whatever you want. And we can see their response in Jeremiah 44, verses 16 through 18. This is what their response was when God said, hey, stop doing whatever you want. They said, we will not listen to the messages from the Lord. We will do whatever we want. We will burn incense and pour out liquid offerings to the queen of heaven just as much as we like, just as we and our ancestors and our kings and officials have always done in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For in those days, we had plenty to eat. We were well off and had no troubles. But ever since we quit burning incense to the queen of heaven and stopped worshiping her with liquid offerings, we've been in great trouble and have been dying from war and famine. They said, we will do whatever we want. They rationalized in their mind that their circumstances were better when they were worshiping to the idols. And so when they were confronted with this, they said, you know what? We are going to do whatever we want. This makes sense to us. We can get our head around worshiping an idol that if we do this sacrifice, then the rain will come. And if we do this sacrifice, then we'll be protected. They could get their head around that. And so they justified it. But they were being disobedient. They said, we will do whatever we want. Why is this such a big deal? Why is this such a big deal to God that we do whatever he says? Is he just a control freak that wants to be the boss of everything and wants to make sure that everybody is under his thumb? Why is he so insistent that we do things his way? The first reason is this. Obedience is a sign of honor. Obedience is a sign of honor. Proverbs 12 or 14:2 says, "Whoever fears the Lord walks uprightly, but those who despise him are devious in all their ways." The CEV version of this, I love it, says, "By living right, you show that you respect the Lord. By being deceitful, you show that you despise him." 
When you live right, it shows that you honor and respect the Lord. When we walk on his path, the upright path, we're saying, you are God. You are bigger than me. You know more than me. Just like a parent with a child saying, hey, I might see something here that you're not seeing. I might know a little something that you don't know. And so when I instruct you, you need to do whatever I say. There's something that says, okay, I understand. There's, there's an arrogance involved in thinking you know better, right? It's, God, okay, great, that sounds like a good plan, but I know better. In that scripture, when you read it in Jeremiah, it makes me cringe that they would even respond like that, like, sorry, we're going to do whatever we want. We understand this. There is an arrogance to that. And yet, when we humble ourselves and say, okay, you are God. You are big. You're all knowing. You know everything. And I have to trust that if this is something you're saying, you see something that I don't see. You know something that I don't know. You have a perspective that I don't have. And therefore, I honor you as God and will do whatever you say. When we recognize that there is something here that God might be seeing that we don't see, we're affirming his position as God. And that's really what fearing the Lord means. There's a reverence and humility and respect that we show when we obey God. When, when my kids obey me, it makes me realize that they're honoring me as their parent. And let me tell you, when they don't, <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I'm upset that you didn't do that task. But what really bothers me is that you didn't respect me enough being your parent, that you follow through with what I asked you. That's the thing that really gets me. And so if we are children of God, there is a respect and an honor that comes by obeying whatever it is God says to us. So that's number one. Obedience is a sign of honor. Second, obedience grants us protection. Obedience grants us protection. Further on in that chapter of Jeremiah 44, we see Jeremiah's response back after they've kind of told him, yeah, thanks for the the insight. We're going to do whatever we want. This is the response of God back to them in, in verse 26 and 27. He says, but listen to this message from the Lord, all you Judeans now living in Egypt. I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name will no longer be spoken by any of the Judeans in the land of Egypt. None of you may invoke my name or use this oath as surely as the Lord lives. For I will watch over you to bring you disaster and not good. I had to read that verse about five times to make sure that I read it right, right? Because what does it say, uh, you know, 10, 15 chapters ahead in Jeremiah 29, 11? I have plans for you to bring you good and not harm. What does this one say? I have plans to bring you harm and not good. What in the world is that supposed to mean, right? He's saying, my name will no longer be spoken. None of you may invoke my name and use this oath as surely as the Lord lives. Now, what does that mean? Some scholars believe that it means that all of these people who were living in, in um, idolatry, that they were going to be die. They were just going to all be wiped out. They were going to die, and there would be no one left to utter the name of the Lord because they were all going to be wiped out. But as I studied this more, this is what I believe it means. One commentary said, the Jews in the midst of all their idolatry, had retained the form of appealing to the name of God. And God was not going to allow this anymore. Let me tell you what that means. They wanted to do their own thing and still require him to do his thing. They wanted to be able to live however they wanted. And still, when all of a sudden everything started falling apart, they would say, oh, but God, we're your people. Come through for us. 
Follow through. Remember you said you were going to protect us. Where are you? They, wanted to, they would invoke the name of God when it was convenient for them. They wanted to do their own thing and still require him to do his thing. And sometimes, man, we want to do whatever we want to do, but we still want to make sure that when it all falls apart, that we're like, well, God, you said you have to come in now, right? And sometimes when we do face trouble or hardship, we are the first to blame God. We'll say, you didn't protect us. You allowed our family to come into this horrible situation. And God's saying, I told you all the way over here to stop. And look, now you're here. And now you're saying that it's my fault. I wrote this in my notes. God is not codependent. He is not going to just, you just do whatever you want, and then he's going to just keep jumping in without ever saying, hey, I need there to be true repentance here. Now, this is, let me make this clear. This is not about us stumbling into a mess and crying out to God with a repentant heart and him saying, well, sorry, made your bed, lie in it. That is not the heart of God. What I'm talking about here is a refusal to honor God, a refusal to change your ways, and yet when things start to fall apart, then you're like, okay, come fix this. I'm, not, I'm still not going to change anything. I'm going to still keep doing whatever I want, but you need to come fix this mess over here. Without a change of our hearts, that's what I'm talking about. We can't keep behaving however we want to behave and think that God is going to always come in and fix our messes when we are not willing to change and do the thing that he has asked us to do in the first place. Grace and mercy is always there for us. But we have to truly repent. And true repentance involves a change in your behavior. It involves a change of saying, okay, I know I've been doing whatever I want, but I recognize that I need to submit to whatever it is you're telling me. We have to be honest about the condition of our heart. This cannot be we refuse to listen to what God is saying and keep doing that behavior he's told us not to do and then find ourselves in the big mess and say, how could you, God? Where are you? Why won't you fix this? When we're not willing to do the thing he has asked of us in the first place, we don't get to disobey and still blame God for our situations. God has given us free will. He will not force you to obey. He will not force you. You have to choose. You have to make that determination. But let me tell you this. He will allow you to reap the consequences of your actions so that you will recognize that you need to change your path. He will let you experience that heartbreak. He will allow you. He will not stop those consequences from coming to you because he wants you to learn that you need to take a different path. And the amazing good news of the gospel is that when we soften our hearts and choose to acknowledge, God, I've made a mess. You're God. I am not. I was hardened. I didn't do what you said. I continued to walk my own path. I said, we will do whatever we want. When we recognize that, there is so much grace and mercy for him to come in and say, okay, I got. let's go. I'm going to lead you right out to the right place again. There's so much grace and mercy. You know, when Betty was standing at the door, I wasn't angry with her. I wasn't like, well, how dare you think you know. No, I understood. She's four. She thinks she knows better than me. So now she's learned that she has not known better than me. But my heart was still filled with love. My heart was still filled with compassion. So God is not angry, but he will allow you to experience the cold on your feet so that you learn the truth of your behavior. God is always right there wanting to protect you and provide for you and love 
you, but you have to turn your heart back toward him. There is protection when we obey God. And you know, the truth is, even if the path that you get on gets hard and difficult, even if that is the case, if you know that God has asked you to walk there, there is this security that comes in knowing that he's with you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. Wherever he asks you to go, even if it's a hard path, when we obey him, there's protection for us. So obedience is a sign of honor. Obedience grants us protection. And lastly, obedience is a sign of trust. There's this underlying side of disobedience that really has to break God's heart, I really believe. When he tells us to do something and our response back is no, I think there's an undercurrent thought in us that says, you don't really want what's best for me. You don't really have my best in mind. You're asking me to do something, and I don't like that. I think that maybe you're leading me down a path that's going to harm me or something that's not good for me. Disobedience really reveals a lack of trust in God. The idea that you're trying to keep me from something good. You've told me I can't have that, but I want that, and I like that, and that makes me happy, and you're trying to keep me from something. That reveals that we don't understand the character of God. We are saying, somewhere in my mind, I think that maybe you don't have my best interest in mind. I think I have my best interest in mind. You just kind of, you're, you kind of want to yank me around and send me on a wild goose chase and take away my fun. We don't have a true understanding of who God is when, we, when there's a lack of trust that leads to disobedience. Somewhere in the back of our minds, we're thinking, you don't love me enough to give me the very best. You're trying to withhold something from me. Disobedience says, I don't trust you. I can't go on the path that you're leading me because I don't know if it will be good. I don't know if you're faithful. I don't know if you're going to follow through. Disobedience reveals a lack of trust. But when we stop and say, okay, I might not understand this, but this is what I know to be true. You love me more than I can imagine. Every single thing you have planned for me is for my highest good. Everything you have planned for me is for my benefit. You are unable to fail me. It is a part of your character. When I understand and I know that to be true, there is a level that gr- of trust that grows in us. Have your kids ever accused you of trying to ruin their lives? You tell them they can't go to something. Why do you hate me? Maybe it's just my kids. Come on, anybody else's kids think that, thank you, thank you in the back, thank two hands in the back, two mothers, okay, good, good, right? They, they say, you hate me, why do you hate me, you won't let me do that, you won't let me go to that with my friends, or you don't want me to have any fun, you're just trying to ruin my life. What is your response in that moment? When my kids have said things to me like, you don't care at all, you just want to ruin my life, I, I kind of want to be like, excuse me, um, do you know how many hours of the day I spend trying to make your life wonderful? Like, do you, do you know me at all? That's what I want to say to them. Like, have we met? Should I introduce myself? Like, I spend the majority of my life thinking about how I can make you the best adult possible in the future. I spend so much time providing for you, making sure you have what you need. I want the very, there is no one on the planet that wants better for you than me. 
And when they look at me and say that, I think, do you not know me at all? And when we look at God, when he asks us, hey, you've got to give up that thing. It's killing you. We go, you are trying to take away all my fun. Or when he says, I I want you to go on this path. I know it seems scary. Say, you are trying to lead me into a failure. What does that say about our relationship with God and who we think he is? And what really has to come back to, do we know who he is? He could not love you more. Every plan for your life that he has is for your highest good and your greatest benefit. And he might be seeing something that you don't see. This thing might be hurting you so badly. And you keep thinking, I will do whatever I want to do. And he's looking going, this is going to hurt you if you don't stop. And there are times that we discipline our kids and we turn them away and we tell them, you need to go this way, you can't go that way, because we want them to have the best in mind. Disobedience reveals a lack of trust in God. What does it say about our view of God when he asks us to do something and our response is, I will not do what you say? We are essentially saying, I don't trust that you love me and have my best in mind. Now, believe me, this is not easy. There have been times in my life God has asked me to do something that doesn't make sense to me or that my fist is so tightly holding on to, and I feel him saying, you got to let that go. And I literally like, okay, maybe one pinky. And it's just like the hardest thing ever. Even right now in my life, this summer I started a new job. I call it my grown-up job. I go to work downtown every day from 9 to 5. I drive in traffic, and I have zero idea why God has me working this job. I wasn't looking for a job. I got a call. Jeff and I both felt like, I think you should go look into this. I went and interviewed. We prayed about it and very clearly felt the Lord leading and guiding us. And it makes zero sense to me. I thought I had enough jobs. I thought that I had plenty to do with my days. Not only that, I kind of thought the path of my life was going this way. And now that I have a full-time job, I don't really have the time to do the other things that I thought more writing and speaking and traveling and the things that I thought that I was going to do. I can't do that anymore. I do not get it. I do not understand. And in the mornings at 6 o'clock when I get in my car and I start driving to work, I go, every morning, I'm not really sure what I'm doing going to this job. I'm not really sure why you have me here. And I have a moment that I'm like, you know, I really, I really wish I was at home today. I really wish that I was getting my kids off to school today. I don't understand why you have me here. And there comes a moment when I always ask this question, is this what you're asking of me today? Is this what you want me to do? And every day since June 1st, the answer has been yes. This is where I want you. And so I take my will and I drag it over and say, okay, if that's what you're asking of me, then that's what I will do. And the day that that question is answered differently, I'm going to (laughs) quit. But until that day comes, I will go where he leads me. And when we were praying about this, the Lord gave me this verse. I have it written on my wall. I have it written on my mirror. It's my screensaver at my job. And it says, Psalm 25:10, the Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness. And I look at it all the time because I needed that second part. I know he was leading, but I need to keep reminding myself that wherever he's leading me, it's out of his greatest love for me. 
and it is his most faithful plan for my life. And I don't have to understand it because I understand him. I don't have to be able to trace it because I know him. And what he asks of me, where he leads me, is led in unfailing love and faithfulness. And that's all I need to do is to trust wherever he's leading. I can say, I know you're good. I know your character. And I am declaring by my actions, by my obedience, that I believe you have my highest good in mind. So I don't know today what is the thing that God has been asking you to obey in. I remember a few years ago, uh, a mentor, I was talking to her about a, something that I felt God put on my heart, and I said the words to her, I'm really trying to be obedient. And she said, well, obedience doesn't work that way. You don't get to try to be obedient. You either are or you aren't. It's a yes or no question. Are you doing the thing that God has asked of you or not? It's very simple. And so as we close today, I'm going to ask Jeff to come to the piano. And I just wanted us to take a couple minutes to just reflect, to pray, to ask God, hey, is there a path that you want me to walk on? And I have been saying no. Is there something you're asking me to give up? And I have been holding on tightly and refusing to let go. Is there something you're asking me to do? And I can't get my head around all the details of why, and so I've just been saying no. I've been putting it off, saying maybe when I understand it better, then I will follow through with it. And God is saying, no, I'm asking you now. There might be something that I know that you don't know why I'm asking you to follow this path. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I want you to just take a minute. Let the Lord search your heart. Let him speak to you. Jesus, we recognize today the truth of your word, that the Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness that we can trust whatever it is you ask of us. And Lord, we come to you today, every one of us, I'm sure there are places, I know there's places in me that I felt your nudging, I felt your direction, and my response has been, we will do whatever we want. We think we know better. We're able to rationalize and justify our disobedience. And yet today, God, you are saying, just trust me. Just trust me that where I'm asking you to go is good. It might not be easy, but it will be good. Lord, if you have asked someone to lay something down today, God, and inside they are tormented with the idea of walking away from that person or that thing or that behavior, I pray that today, the knowledge of your love would release them to let it go. That they would lay it down. And Lord, maybe, maybe today there's somebody here and they want to obey and yet they're addicted. There's something going on inside of them that they feel like they can't walk away. I pray that today would be the day that their step of obedience would be going to get help and reaching out. Lord, knowing that you are able to set them free. Lord, I pray for those today that you have asked them to walk on a path that seems really scary 
and really difficult, and they don't understand. I pray that today there would come a peace and a security in knowing that as long as you're the one leading, that we can walk in confidence, knowing you will never fail us. So today, collectively, Lord, our answer is yes. Today, collectively, our answer is we will obey. Our answer is you are God, and you know better than us. And so we trust you with every part of our lives. Help us to walk that out this week, Lord, that what you're doing in our heart today will put into action, and we'll take those steps to walk in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.